We're in a series this Lenten season where we're looking at Jonah. And it's only 48 verses. We're in Jonah for a period of six weeks. And even last week, I found that uh, it was a challenge even to cover two points and the introduction to the series of Jonah. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the second point. And last week, if you think in terms of geography, we saw God come to Jonah. And then we saw Jonah run from God. So God came and Jonah went. And this week, what we're going to see, once again, as we ended last week, we're going to see the most amazing thing. That Jonah, that God did not come to Jonah, Jonah went from God, and then God went on to Nineveh, or God went away. What we see is God came to Jonah, Jonah went from God, God comes to Jonah. And that's the gospel. That's the story, if you are a follower of God, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you are a Christian this morning, that is the story of your life. And it's not the distant past story, it's the current story. Every time I go my own way, I am going, I am moving away from the presence, the, the intimate awareness of God with me and with me as not only my creator but my father and that with a cherishing love whenever I move away from God I am so thankful that God doesn't say I'm done with you one really Stogner again really come on I'm done with you and you a minister you, you should know better I mean, with your theology, look at your life. Really? I'm going with somebody else. No. He comes after Jonah. And we're going to see this morning two ways that he comes after Jonah. He comes after Jonah by intervention. Intervening with a storm. And then secondly, he comes after Jonah by inviting prayer, inviting communication or supplication. He invites Jonah by one of the sailors arousing him from sleep to get up and begin communicating with God again. Pray. Seek God's face again. Wake up, O sleeper. Uh, Two things. Number one, this morning, please, I I want you to struggle with conviction at the end of this message, but I don't want you to struggle with guilt. Um, I love it. I love because I'm an approval suck and because I just like a cannibal eat on the compliments of people. I love it when people say, oh, preacher, that was some more message. You know, I'll give you a, a preacher's secret. One of the easiest ways to get people to compliment you is make them feel guilty. They kind of feel like you've earned your salary then. Oh, man. You know, and particularly if you make other people feel guilty and don't make them feel guilty. Oh, you really let them have it today, preacher. Well, I don't, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel guilty at the end of the message as I try and I seek 
for you to look at Jonah not as that bad boy Jonah running from God and from his responsibilities to share his faith with a distant people, Nineveh, and an immediate people, the, the sailors. I don't want you to simply feel guilty because you look at Jonah and say, bad boy Jonah, but you look at yourself and say, I'm Jonah. I am so Jonah. I am so asleep in with my classmates and my neighbors and my workmates, my family members, I am so asleep. I never talk about my faith in God. I never speak a good word for Jesus Christ. I never intervene in the storms in their life. I don't want you to feel guilty. I do want you to feel conviction. I want you to be able to say with me, as I have said to myself numerous times in the study of the Scripture, that's me. I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. Secondly, we've got just a few resources uh, here on the front table. And we've got like 10 copies of a track that we use. And I know some of you are going to cringe and say, oh, a track. Um, This is a, a track that we use to share our faith with. And a track is not always appropriate. A track comes out of a relationship with a person that does not know Christ. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning, I am so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. And why I want you even today to join us in the family of sons and daughters of God. And you are welcome no matter where you're coming from. There is no sin that you cannot be forgiven of. Nothing. God prides Himself on forgiving the big sins and welcome us in as newborn sons and daughters. You are welcome in this place. And I would love to see you come to faith in Christ this morning. But I doubt if you will. But you're in the right place by listening. Questioning now your doubts. Re-examining the questions that you have in light of answers that are starting to emerge. It may be a long journey for you to come to faith. And so the last thing I want to do is simply give you a piece of paper outside of a relationship with you and say, read this and pray the prayer at the end. But the track may be for a friend, family member, work associate, classmate that is at that point where you say, you know what, they would welcome a piece of literature that succinctly explains what Christianity is and how they can come to faith. And in a cool way, it's basically five pictures with brief statements. Also, the track may be for you. In other words, it would be far better if you took a track, you commit, you, you, you get it together, you understand now the gospel of grace, and then without a track, you communicate it. Maybe even draw out the pictures. Like I said, I've only got 10 of them. We'll order more. It's like Doritos. We'll make more. Uh, and then we also have a book for those of your, that you might have friends by Donald Miller, Searching for God Knows What, for people that are a little more, um, you know, they're, they're a little more literary, they read a book that has fine print in it, great book. Okay, two sub-points this morning. Note that God intervenes with a storm. Verse 4, the Lord, in going after Jonah, hurls a great wind. And the word for great is gadol. 
And it means that there's nothing like it. It would be like a rogue wave, a tsunami wave. It would be something that is so unusual that these sailors, as experienced seamen, would have never seen anything like it in their life. It says their ship is breaking up. It's probably demasted. It might have lost its tiller, which you could do that during that time. The tiller connected to the rudder, the steering mechanism so that it was foundering. It could be that they were seeing in the hull cracks and leaks. But they associated this storm with God. They were very afraid. Jonah is asleep, and it says in verse 5 that the, men, the mariners, ultimately we see the mariners in this storm calling out, finally the captain seeks out this fugitive passenger that had booked passage, had paid a fare in Joppa to go as far away from Joppa, which is at the port of Jerusalem, as far away from God's people and God as he could. He finally goes down below to waken him. Now, a couple of things. How comfortable are you with intervention by God at the point of a storm? In Proverbs, well, Francis Thompson, first of all, the Hound of Heaven, very famous uh, piece of poetry where Francis Thompson describes his conversion. It was not so much him pursuing a relationship with God, but God almost ruthlessly, almost like he's going to mug him, is just stalking Francis down through a period of time in his life like a, a hound on the uh, you know, searching for, uh, uh, for prey. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. And I attribute that running laughter not to him saying, oh, keep, ch-, you, know, you know, run, run as fast as you can, catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. But God's kind of chuckle saying, you can't outrun me. You can't outrun me. You can even go through a labyrinth of different ways, but I'm going to pursue you like a hound sent from heaven. I'm on the trail, and I'm not going to stop until you're mine. God pursues Jonah, and he's not going to stop until Jonah knows that he is God's and forever will be. Not even his sin against God, his rebellion against the call on his life to follow God, be with God, and to serve God can keep God from him. All right, don't go to sleep on me now. Did you just hear what I said? In some circles, that's heretical. Not in Reformed circles. Not in those of us who trust the Scriptures and who are totally amazed by grace. Not even your sin, not even your sin can keep you from your relationship with God. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that not even our sin can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You cannot, as the children, as Samantha said, you cannot go outside of the presence of God. You can't go away from God. And if you are a son and daughter That is more than just a perk or a benefit. It's such a grace that it gives me security 
that not even my rebellion and my waywardness can keep me from God. And He's going to come after me and He will intervene at the risk or the price of a storm. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 7 admonishes us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. All of this Jonah would have known. Jonah would have known this. He would have known to don't trust my own feelings in a matter. Don't don't buy into a lie of my, my fears or in my own, a lie of my own wants for comfort. Nineveh is today known by another name, Mosul. You can Google the news in Mosul. Just don't do it right now. Just Google Mosul News. And many times what's going to happen is is it's going to show you the parenthesis from where the news is coming from, and it'll say Nineveh. And oh, what news in this northern Syria town. Oh, what news is coming in. Beheadings galore. Just this last week, they beheaded a young man because, a young man because, one of their own, because of something they found on his cell phone that they deemed to be sinful. Immoral, inappropriate, um, very cruel. So this is, this is Nineveh, and Jonah is running, running from being sent there because he doesn't even, his, when it, he's leaning on his own understanding, his own feelings, that he would not share the grace of God with his enemies. But Proverbs, uh, verses 11 and 12 out of chapter 3 tells us this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. This is, we see this famously, we cite this in Hebrews. But this is good theology. It was in the Old Testament, and it was carried over into the New Testament as to how God as a father deals with his sons. We don't like this God. I had a, um, an uncle. He was my favorite uncle, but he was an embarrassment to my family. Do you have an uncle that embarrasses you or your family? He was my Uncle Pig. That was his name. Because when we were little, he was so cool. He, he, was, he smoked cigarettes, and he was a, a World War II vet, and he had this ability to, he said, hey, you want to see smoke come out my eyes? It was a cool trick. I never could do it. But he could take a puff of smoke and you'd look at his eyes and he would let the smoke come out of his nose in such a way that it looked like it was coming out of his eyes. And then he would just kind of squeeze you and then as he would snuggle with you as a, as a niece or a nephew, he would go... And we called him Uncle Pig. But boy, boy, you better not cross him. I mean, he was one of those uncles that broke stuff. He was one of those uncles that would go to that soldier's ability, that language, that it's a, it's a whole other language with soldiers. <laughs> and he would start barking these profanities. And I mean, his anger would just curl the paint. And so we were embarrassed 
by Uncle Pig's anger. Are you embarrassed by God's anger? Do you apologize for God's anger? Do you ever consider that God sends a storm into your life out of His anger, meaning His displeasure, not hate, but His displeasure at your behavior of running from Him? That Jesus literally sometimes will be a storm in your life through the Holy Spirit speaking to convict you of your rebellion, your treacherous heart, and your sin. And that that is a good thing. That that is actually a favor. I am... The older I grow, the more I come to see that I don't want a God. I don't want a God that says with my life, oh, it's okay. I want a God that gets angry. Who gets displeased because as a father, he desires so much more out of me as a son and a daughter. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not an enjoyable experience, but it is intervention. He, he, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. And I don't think latter days simply means prior to the Lord coming back. I think it means in my own latter days. The older I get, I can agree with C.S. Lewis, who says in his book, Surprised by Joy, that the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. John Newton put it this way, All shall work together for good. Everything is needful, including the storm that he sends. Nothing is needful that He withholds. A couple of things. Look at this storm and see this storm as needful. And see this storm as coming from God. And take stock now as you look in your own life And look at the storms a little differently. Why are we having this financial trial right now? Why are we having this relational conflict right now? Why am I struggling with this addiction so right now? Begin to look at those storms as they begin to hurl themselves toward us. As our ship, my life begins to, oh man, there went the mast of my life. Wow, they went the rudder. I just seem to don't have any control anymore. Things are beginning to happen fast now, and they happened a lot faster with Jonah than they happened with us. We kind of pay the fare, and we get on board the boat to Tarshish, and it seems to be a slower journey than for Jonah. Here, it's more immediate. I get the Post and Courier in this morning, front page, apart from uh, the political scene, There's a story of Ricky who died this last week in the tent city under the highway. His employer of liarly cleaners did not see Ricky 
for three days. And so he went to Tent City. He found his tent. And Ricky had been dead for three days in his tent. We see that Jonah's sin had an impact. It took me a long time. It took me a long time to realize that I was actually creating storms for the sailors and the mariners in my life by my sin. I had justified so much sin in my life by saying, it's just me. It's not hurting other people. But be it short or be it a long time, you will come to see that your sin, your rebellion, you can't privatize it. It will impact every relationship that you're in. Jonah is the one who's running from God and who is in rebellion with God, but it's the sailors and their ship that are paying a price for this. See God, look at the storms differently, and see God in the storm. And as Tulian Tejabian says in his book, Surprised by Grace, when you see it, until we see God sent storms as interventions and not as punishment, we'll never get better, we'll only get bitter. So that we see those storms and we ask the question differently. I don't shake my fist at heaven and say, God, what are you doing? But I go, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Whenever I have a relational argument, I do well to say in that storm, first of all, own my sin and see how I'm impacting another person. And then secondly, say, God, how are you pursuing me and my heart in relation with you through this storm in the relationship that I have with another person right now. Secondly, I want you to see how God came after Jonah, briefly here, by inviting supplication. Jonah is asleep. People are crying out to their God, and as I imagine the scene, here's what's going to happen. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise. I can tell you that if you were asleep on my little bit of a boat and we're in a storm such that I can't imagine, I'm demasted, 
I've lost my, my rudder. I need to start in order. I've got a crack in the hull. I'm taking on some water. I can't pump it out quick enough. And you're asleep? Well, of course, I would never curse in a storm. I'm going to be praying, Lord, what are you up to? That's what I'm going to be doing. But just imagine that I'm like normal people. I'm like you. I'm going to be on deck, and I'm going to be trying to get the sails together and out of the way, get all my sail, you know, everything I can. I'm going to try to get it down and slow things down. And then if I have to start throwing cargo, I'm going to be coming down in the cabin. I'm going to be throwing everything that has weight overboard. Batteries are going to go overboard, everything. There's going to be a lot of noise, a lot of noise. In addition to the noise of the storm and the boat breaking up, there's cargo being moved around, hauled on the deck. Hey, hey, over here, over here. There's cursing. There's crying. Oh, what's going on? There's prayers. Oh, God of the sea, Nemo, help us. Come, come. A lot of noise going on. You got the point yet? Jonah slept through it. Jonah slept through the noise. In our community that we live in here, Two Rivers, Park Circle, the devil makes a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise when people live under the, the bridge, homelessness, and I yeah, 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 I know. There's there's a lot of there there's a lot of implications and reasons for people doing that. There's a lot of noise about poverty, education, the graduation rate at this high school that we meet in, the joblessness and the, and the, the inability for people to, to, to get a, a good-paying job. And these are just social things, not to mention all the immorality. I mean, there's a lot of noise going on, and we, like Jonah, are asleep. Charles Spurgeon in a sermon, a famous sermon that he gave on this text, as he concluded, left his congregation with this. I do not think, I do not think that many of you are awake. You're not awake unless you are moved to see others come into a relationship with Christ that you yourselves enjoy. You may labor, and you may see no success for your efforts, but you are awake if you mourn, if you groan, if you sigh before God for those in your relational circle would come to know Christ as you do. But, a man who has never seen a sinner brought to Christ by any of his or her means and is happy and content with that, why, such a man or woman is asleep. Let him take, let him take heed that it's not the sleep of death. I had sooner the Lord would send claps of thunder to this church in the form of heavy trials and troubles, the removal of your pastor, the taking away of our best men, the riot of mobs, the slander of the press, then we should continue to multiply and increase as a church. That we should make our meeting place a huge dormitory where we snore 
God's praises in our sleep instead of an armory where we sharpen our swords each Sabbath to go out the whole week on the campaign field contending, fighting for our God and for the good of men. Never may these benches, they had pews, be beds, nor these seats, couches for sluggards to recline upon. God looks at us and our life as if we're on a ship. And there are many around us that are facing a storm and they need our prayers. Would you, would you consider this? That there are certain people in your life that no other person on earth is praying for them? Just consider it. You might be asleep to that fact that there are actually people in your life, in your circle, in your sphere of influence that nobody, they're so far outside of Christian community and relationships that nobody ever talks to God about them. Nobody. You're the one. You may be the only one to pray for them. Are you asleep? Are you praying for them? Are you immune? Many people believe there's a lot of chatter in the commentaries as to why Jonah slept. Some people say that it was, he was depleted. He was just physically exhausted. I mean, after all, the guy had a forced march of 50 miles to go to the port of Joppa. Then he's on this boat and it's storm-tossed. He's just exhausted. I don't think so. Some say he's depressed because he had such an intimate relationship with God, and now he just feels so distant, and he's anxious, and he's worried, and just in a heap of, of depression, he goes to sleep. I don't think so. I think he's in denial. I think he's in denial. He's a theologian for crying out loud. He's a prophet. He's a preacher. He's a mature Christian. He knows everything about God. But his life is a different picture. Oh, I confess my sin. I love the gospel of grace. I love it. I love it for me. And I look at my witness. I look at my big word, scary word, evangelism of those in relationship with me, you know the number one thing that keeps me from doing it? I love myself more than I love them. I, I want that person's friendship for myself more than I want friendship for them with God. I've had family members that I just wouldn't venture, and I'm the preacher, I just wouldn't venture to share the good news with them because I didn't want them to cut me off, rebuke me, or not invite me in the future to certain things. That's my confession. And that's a denial. It's not living out all the things, all the, the, the things that I know to be true about God. Because I just don't love people enough. And I don't believe Jonah, he certainly didn't love Nineveh. 
He didn't love these sailors enough, but God did. And God says, I will send a storm into your life to fulfill not the intents of your heart, but the intent of my heart. And I will let those storms rage until they create such a turmoil in your heart that your heart will be shaped to conform to my heart. And so I find that I can begin to pray about the storms in my life, and then I'm able to identify with the storms that rage in other people's lives, and I begin to pray for them, and I begin to intercede for them, and I begin to find occasion to speak to them about how I see God ministering to me in my storm and how He's available and longs to minister and serve them and be their God in their storm. Oh, Jonah, wake up. Jonah, wake up. Jonah, wake up. People are dying here. The ship is sinking here. And he awakes. He does wake. And we'll learn next week what he does. This table, this table points us to another Jonah. It points to another Jonah who was also asleep. Asleep in a storm in a boat. But the storm was not sent against this one, Jesus, because he was running from God. It was sent to show that our captain, our Lord, and our Savior rules over all storms in our life for his good purpose. And the purpose is to strengthen our faith. The storm came upon them in their boat. They were undone. Water is coming over the boat. They cried out to Jesus to wake because they feared they were sinking, to be drowned. Jesus looks at him and says, I'm with you in the storm. Where's your faith? And then with a voice, he quiets the storm and they make it to shore. I pray, even as I pray for myself, that I will see and begin to look for Jesus in the midst of every storm. And that I would heed his implication. I would pray to him and I would trust him to use that storm in my life and even in the storm of others. And I pray this morning as we prepare our hearts now to come to this table that you will see Jesus. You'll see Jesus in the bread and the wine that is offered. And you will take him, not simply with your head, but that you will take him with your hands and with your mouth. You will take him so inside with you that his heart will become your heart. And the very power and the grasp of the gospel that he has come after you will lead you and persuade you lovingly, winsomely, prayerfully to go after others in the storm as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would set aside this bread and this cup to do that very thing. I ask, Father, Lord, we are in various places with a storm. Some of us are in the storm and we don't have a prayer. Send people after us to pray with us, to pray after us, to pray along with us. Show us, Father, that we can begin now to pray in our storm. You are with us. You haven't sent the storm to crush us. Alone, you've sent the storm to intervene, to arrest our attention to you. And now we give it back. We give our attention fully to you. Father, others of us allow us to see Jesus in these elements and to take strength and courage, even love, 
that we can lay our life down and go to others in their storm and share you who is ever-present with us, with them. So strengthen us, heal us, forgive us, and use us, we pray in Christ's name. From these elements, amen.